Good morning, church. It's always wonderful to come together again to worship the Lord, to, uh, to sing praises to His name, and to, uh, to sit under His Word. And so I'm thankful to be with you this morning. But as I was reading this passage earlier this week, I was reminded of an author from the early 80s named Ann Herbert, who in 1982 coined a certain phrase that says, practice random kindness and senseless acts of beauty. Practice random kindness and senseless acts of beauty. And it is a positive spin on the the common phrase, random acts of violence and senseless acts of cruelty. And unfortunately, the world is far too often filled with acts such as those, and so she encouraged people to practice random kindness and senseless acts of beauty, which actually led to a children's book, that that was the title of the book itself, Random Kindness and Senseless Acts of Beauty, that it was published originally in 1993. And because of her writings and uh, her, her going out and speaking to, to people and just the way that she encouraged others, it encouraged, uh, she encouraged people towards spontaneous acts of kindness, not asking for glory, not asking for anything in return, not some sort of, of payment, but to encourage people towards random acts of kindness. And granted, she was not the one who first came up with this concept. It is an, an old concept, but she used her platform as an opportunity to encourage people to live such a life. In fact, it started trends and movements, kindness movements around the world. There were coffee shops that were known as sospeso shops. The word sospeso sospeso literally means suspended, where people would go and order two cups of coffee but only take one. So that way if someone came in and yet didn't have the money for a cup of coffee, there would be a sospeso available for those who did not have the means. In our culture today, you, you often hear uh, on social media about the, the pay-it-forward movement, usually in a fast food like drive through line where someone will pay for the, the meal of the person behind them, and it starts this chain of people just being kind to absolute strangers and getting nothing in return. There's a social media movement called Feed the Deed. Uh, It's hashtag Feed the Deed, where people will film themselves doing a good deed for a complete stranger and then tag their friends to continue the trend. And so it would start with one person, and then they would do something nice, and then they would tag three people. So those three people would go out and do some kind of random act of kindness and tag three more people each. And so then all of a sudden it goes from one to three to nine, and it keeps growing exponentially of people encouraging others toward random kindness and senseless acts of beauty. And the whole point of this movement is that kindness is not something that is earned, but it's something to be encouraged freely without consideration of how different people may be, without 
uh, consideration regardless of, of skin color, regardless of background, regardless of political affiliation, not caring if the person receiving deserves such kindness, but simply to freely give random acts of kindness. And this passage suggests similar motivation. Do for others regardless of status or regardless of what you're going to get out of it, but it urges Christians to something more than just mere acts of kindness, but to pray, specifically to pray for others toward salvation. To pray for others is not an act that is limited to priests or pastors or elders or deacons or those in in church leadership, but this concept is applied to all believers. In fact, I would say, I would suggest that reading this passage, that the gospel should lead every believer to pray for other people. That the power and the impact of the gospel in every believer's life should lead every believer to pray for other people. And we see this unpacked in three particular ways. First, to pray with every type of prayer to pray with every type of prayer. Second, to pray for every type of person. So you're supposed to pray with every type of prayer, and then you're supposed to pray for every type of person. And that the power to do so comes from the power of the one and only payment. So before I go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You speak to Your people today, that this is not an ancient text that is no longer relevant, but that Your Word is living and active. That Your Word is not just a to-do list, that it's not a check-off list to earn Your favor, but God, You loved us enough to give us Your Word, to communicate Your truth to us. And so I pray that now in this time that you would pour out your spirit in this place, that you would speak through a broken servant like myself to communicate your gospel truth, that this would not just be my agenda or my plan, that this would not just be uh, another burden placed upon people's shoulders, but that this time would be the freeing gospel of Jesus Christ. Speak to us in this time. And it's in the holy In victorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And so, as we are reading 1 Timothy, you know, we've been jumping around this month of just looking at different passages and what Scripture has to say about prayer. But this book of of the Bible, 1 Timothy, is a letter written by Paul to Timothy. It's very self-explanatory. But at this time, uh, Timothy was pastoring the church in Ephesus. Timothy was with Paul. They planted the church. Timothy stays behind to lead the church as Paul continues his his missionary journey. And this letter was meant to be encouragement. It was meant to be instruction from the discipler to the disciplee, from the mentor to the trainee, but as they grew in ministry from one friend to another. And the letter actually opens with Paul speaking against the false teachers that are in that community. 
the teachers that are uh, teaching people to follow, as Paul says, myths and endless genealogies. And Paul encourages Timothy to speak out against these false teachers. They were, they were also teachers that were teaching the theme of that salvation is for those who keep the law, that they were uh, pushing people towards keeping the Hebrew law, and that that is where salvation is found. But Paul reminds Timothy to remind the church that Jesus Christ did not come to save the just. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And in light of that saving work of Christ, Paul urges Timothy to pray with every type of prayer. He writes, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings, to pray for others, to pray uh, for their provision that God would provide for them in their need, to pray that, that God would meet them where they are, that He would supply for them, hence supplication, that God would supply, to pray for their well-being, not just that, uh, that they would get over, uh, that Aunt Sally would get over her cold, but to pray for their their physical and spiritual well-being, their growth, to pray for their salvation, to intercede on behalf of someone else, to step before the Lord, and to pray for someone else's soul, and to thank the Lord for these people that were in their lives. Now, granted, this is specifically written towards Timothy, but this is a way that all believers should pray to pray for the the people in your life, in your immediate proximity, and in the world around you, to go before the Lord and not just pray for your own needs, not just to pray that God would meet you where you are, but to pray for the people in your life. To pray prayers of supplication for their well-being that God would supply for them, to pray for the people in your life that they would know God, not just a head knowledge, not just mere biblical trivia, but that they would truly experience and know the living God of the Bible, to pray that this God would save people from the destruction of their own sin. Not praying this way to put yourself in some sort of elevated position to say, well, I'm holy, so I was praying for you this week. You need it, sinner. Not to gloat in your own holiness, but because this is what the Lord Himself does on your behalf. In John 17, John records Jesus' high priestly prayer where Jesus is specifically praying for those that the Father has given to Him. And He's praying for their protection from the enemy. He's praying for their sanctification that they would grow in holiness and righteousness. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes about how the Spirit helps the believers in, 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 in their weakness, in our weakness, in your weakness. And, that he's, and he says, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God, that God 
the Spirit is praying for you to God the Father on your behalf. And then just a few verses later, he, he mentions that Jesus, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. God is praying to God for you. God the Son, God the Spirit is interceding on your behalf to God the Father for your holiness, for your protection, for your sanctification. You are being prayed for by the risen Lord Himself. Do you realize that? That both the Son and the Spirit are praying for you. They're interceding for you on your behalf before the Father that that Jesus Christ is praying for your good. That Jesus Christ is praying for your protection from the enemy. That Jesus Christ is praying for your sanctification, that you would grow in your holiness, that you would love God more today than you did the day before, and that you'll love Him even more tomorrow. Church, if Jesus Himself, the risen Lord, can pray for you on your behalf, can you go forward and pray for the people in your life? If Jesus is praying for you, imitate that. Pray for the other people in your life that they would also know the saving power of Christ. But it's also part of Christian living to be praying for others with all types of prayer. In Galatians, Paul urges the church to bear one another's burdens. There's this sense of sharing stress and struggle and strife and to be lifting one another up in prayer. In Ephesians 6, to be praying at all times in the Spirit, making supplication for all the saints. To be praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ that God would supply for them in their time of need. In Philippians chapter 4, in everything, actually do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. To not fall into the trap, the, the, the fleshly temptation to live in stress and anxiety, but with everything to bring your requests before the Lord with thanksgiving to thank Him for what He has given you and trust that He will continue to provide for you in your struggle. Scripture is full of reminders for believers to be praying with one another and for one another. And so, go before the Father. Thank Him for the people that are in your life. Pray for their good. Pray for their growth. Not just for their physical needs, not just that uh, they'll be able to, to pay their bills at the end of the month, but pray for their soul, for bar- body, heart, and mind, that they would holistically, with every fiber of their being, know the saving power of Christ. Let your prayers be well-rounded. In a sense, a, a Swiss army knife of prayer where you've got the, the knife and the little scissors and the little corkscrew and everything that for any type of situation that may pop up in your life, you've got the little Swiss Army knife. Your prayers should be multifaceted in such a way that whatever situation comes forward, you are able to pray for those 
in your life. But these prayers are not just limited to a certain type of person. Because as you, as you pray with all types of prayers, Paul reminds the church to pray for every type of person. Rereading those first two verses, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul does not limit Timothy to pray for the church. He, he does not say, only pray for the Christians that are in your community. He doesn't say, pray for the nice people that are around you. Because it's easy to pray for the people who do the things that you do, who think the way that you think, who look the way that you look. It's easy to pray for the people that fall on your nice list. But Paul urges to pray for all people. Going back to the earlier thought, uh, our concept of the random acts of kindness and spontaneous acts of beauty, that your prayers should be for people in your life such as that, not just for the people that you know, but the people that you just happen to encounter. Do not limit your prayers to those you like are to, to those that are easy to pray for. I actually encourage you to write out a list. To keep a list of people in your life to be praying for, the people that you encounter often, the people that you see every now and then. I keep a list of, of people to be praying for in my Bible. And it has people such as my wife and my children, my in-laws, friends from college, friends from high school, some of the people on my list are confidants that I know that I can go with my soul-crushing stress and burden and that I can go to them freely. Some of the people on my list are people who were at one time partners in ministry but have since left the church. And I still pray for them that they would come back to the saving knowledge of Christ. There are people on my list who have never become believers in the fact that I've prayed for them for the past 20 years now, and yet they fight against the gospel, but I refuse to stop praying for them. Romans chapter 9, verse 18 tells us that the Lord has mercy on whomever He wills, and He hardens whomever He wills. We do not know the people who are going to receive the saving knowledge of Christ. There are people that you can pour out that knowledge time and time again and they will fight it for the rest of their lives with a hardened heart. There are some people that you can be praying for for the next 20 or 30 years, but all of a sudden there's that one change in their life where the gospel takes root. We do not know who the Lord is going to soften and who the Lord is going to harden, but I encourage you to pray for all of those people. I also encourage you to not limit your prayers to those in your immediate circles. Right here, Paul specifically says to pray for kings and those in high positions. As believers, especially in our current political climate, pray for our government. 
Pray for the president. Pray for your senators. Pray for the, the mayor. Pray for your, your governors. Pray for lawmakers. Pray for our government that they would come together, not in a, a spirit of divisiveness, but that they would come together in a spirit of unity. As Paul says here, uh, specifically that we would lead a quiet and peaceful life and dignified in every way, that we would pray for our government and our leaders that they would truly come to know the saving power of Christ and that we as a people would move forward in unity and holiness and sanctification. Pray for people of position, not just governmental leaders, but pray for people that have a platform to reach others. One of the big news is, or one of the big pieces of news uh, within the past several months was Kanye West coming out and, and professing to have a saving faith in Christ. Pray for Kanye to be discipled in the Word that he would be able to use his platform and to go everywhere that he can to say that the risen Lord has saved his soul. I have a friend that prays for comedian Trevor Noah, the host of The Daily Show. He's a, he grew up in, in South Africa, and he grew up with a strong, godly woman. And this man knows scriptural truth, but it has not taken root. And so this friend of mine prays for him often that it would move from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge, and that he would be able to use his platform and his position to stand and say, Jesus Christ has changed my life. Don't just pray for the people that are easy. Don't just pray for the people that are in your immediate circles. Pray for kings and people in high positions that they would know the saving power of Jesus Christ and use their platform, their position, their office to urge toward others towards unity, to urge others towards holiness. Pray for all types of people. And so I have to ask, are your prayers limited to those in your immediate circles? Do you find yourself specifically praying for the people that you like? Because you and I have no idea how the Lord is going to work in other people's hearts. Salvation is not limited to particular people groups. Salvation is not bound by geographical region. It's not limited to country or tax bracket or political affiliation. But as Paul writes in Galatians 3, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All people have sinned and are in desperate need of a Savior all people. And so, church, we are urged to pray for all people. And as you pray with all types of prayers for all types of people, Paul reminds us of where the believer's power truly comes from, the power of one and only payment. Picking up in verse 3, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper 
time. It is good and pleasing that God is pleased when you pray for others. When you care for others, when you care about others, when you pray for their well-being, not when you quarrel and bicker, not when you turn your back on people because they don't believe exactly the same doctrine as you. God is not pleased when we argue more over who Jesus would love instead of actively sharing that love. God is pleased when you pray for others to know the truth. And then Paul goes forward to unpack that truth. That there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And this is what makes Christianity different from every other faith system. From every other religion, it's unlike any philosophy or moral or behavior modification that Christianity is not a form of moral relativism where you can say, well, whatever is true for you, just believe that, and then I'll just believe what's true for me. Christianity is not one path among many, but there is one God, the creator of all, the God who has the power to speak reality into existence, and yet creation rebelled against Him. And that all people are guilty of sin and deserve punishment, but that there is one mediator, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the same Jesus who came into the world and said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And this mediator came and gave himself as the punishment for your sin. He took your punishment The death that you deserve to die, He took that upon Himself, that your sin was nailed with Him to the cross. And that in this ransom transaction, Scripture describes Jesus as the propitiation for your sin. That's a nice fancy church word. I encourage you to use it sometime in conversation this week. But in Romans 3.25 Paul describes propitiation in this way. He says, whom God put forward, this being Jesus, as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. In 1 John 2, verse 2, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That the active obedience of Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection is the propitiation for your sin, meaning that it turns away the wrath of God. The wrath that you deserved for your sin is turned away by the work and obedience of the Son. The death of Christ bearing your guilt and shame was propitiation for your sin, turning away the wrath from the, of the Father, and He gave you His righteous status so that you would be called a holy child of the living God. Not because of your status, not because of anything that you have to offer in this transaction, not because some people think that you're a nice person, not because you might have done something to deserve it, but simply because of the love of the Father. 
the Son has reconciled you. And this same Son, Jesus Christ, is praying for you at the right hand of the Father. And so I have to ask, are your prayers limited to surface-level prayers? Just praying to get through day by day or just praying uh, just for, for non-eternal matters? Do you only pray for those that you feel actually deserve your prayers? Praying for the people that you are getting something out of this relationship. Have you forgotten the power of Christ that saved you and reconciled you to the Father? Or will you go before the Father and offer multifaceted prayers? Praying with all types of prayers for all types of people. Praying for friends and for enemies, for family and for strangers. Praying for co-workers and classmates and neighbors, celebrities, even entire governments. Are you praying that they would know the soul-saving truth of Jesus Christ? And will you trust not in your own power to make this happen, but in the power of the one mediator, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, as the Savior for all people. Christian, who are you praying for? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we confess that far too often our prayers are limited in scope. Far too often we limit our prayers to just the day-to-day passing things that we feel we want most. We confess that far too often we have not prayed for those in our circles or we have not prayed for those outside our circles. We have not prayed for our leaders. We have not prayed that the world would know the saving power of Jesus Christ. God, we confess these things and we pray that you would remind us of the love and mercy and compassion and the power that first saved us. And that that would motivate us to go out into the world to pray for everyone around us, to, to pray for those in our immediate circles, to pray for those in our neighborhoods, in our communities, to pray for those in our state, in our country, and around the world. Lord, remind us of the victory that you have given us through Jesus Christ. And let us rest in his work and his victory and his power. And that we would pray that others would know that same power for the rest of eternity. Lord, we thank you. And we pray all of this in the victory and the power of the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.